Well, thank you, Tim, for those <clears throat> encouraging words. I appreciated that, especially the emphasis on peace. It's um, something that seemingly just recently here, um, yeah, just some things going on. It's hard to have that peace, and so I was encouraged by that. So thank you. We're going along with our uh, morning with regard to children. Just thinking about the blessing of children in the home and also in the church and the brotherhood. And I know sometimes the, you know, a lot of children run around and sometimes, uh, you know, we say, you know, be careful, you know, uh, they need to respect the older people, don't want to knock them over and so forth. And that's very true. And sometimes people are a little nervous, children in the church or whatever. But you know, what would church be or what would it be like if there weren't children here? It would not be good. Are a lot of churches that are closing their doors out there and uh, up and down all throughout America, closing the doors because there aren't children, there aren't young families. And so we have a tremendous blessing to have children here in homes and in the church, in the brotherhood. And we want them to grow up. In a brotherhood that loves and cares for them and that they uh, learn to love the Lord and love each other and love and respect uh, the brotherhood as well. So we want to talk a little bit this morning about raising our children for the kingdom. Now there's a passage I'd like to turn to. First of all, I would be remiss if I did not look at this passage at least a little bit. And that is in Ephesians chapter 6. Some instruction there to the children and also to the fathers, Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 1, it says, children, and this, so children, this is for you, and I would say young people as well, and I don't know exactly where this, what age this ends, but I think we can move it from maybe obey over into honor for all of our lives. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's the right thing to do. It's the godly thing to do. If you're, it says, in the Lord. So when your parents are instructing you of things in the Lord, obey them. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that I may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And we can look around us in our culture and see when children, young people, do not honor their parents, how that turns out. It does not usually end well. Even if we do not have Christian parents, we can still have an honor and respect for them, even if they're not Christians. And then it says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. So we, as fathers, we want to be careful that we don't somehow cause our children to be angry or to be upset and, and become discouraged. It says, Provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And that nurturing there is like, like a mother would nurture their child or whatever. So fathers, we need to be willing to nurture, to care for our children. And to be kind to them and loving. And, and also says in the admonition. So you can, you can have an extreme there. You can admonish your children all the time for the things they're doing wrong. And that doesn't work out very well. You can nurture them all the time and never admonish them. And that doesn't work out very well, but there needs to be a balance of nurturing them and admonishing them in the right way so that they learn 
to grow up to honor and to love you and to love the Lord. The admonition of the Lord, not necessarily everything we'd like to admonish them about, but things that are right and godly to admonish them about. I don't know for you parents of young children what you kind of have in your mind of what you would like for your children to be someday. Would you like them to be, uh, you know, if you would ask someone out in the world, maybe what would you like your children to be? Maybe they'd say, well, I'd like for them to be a president of the United States or a senator or a congressman or uh, a doctor or a lawyer or just whatever I want them to be, wealthy and successful. I hope today you're not thinking that for your children, that's your goal, that you hope they're wealthy and successful. and not, not that you want them to be failures in business or financially, but what's your desire for them to be? Would you be okay if your child, I hope you would be, would decide that, you know what, they're not interested in being in a business owner, they're not interested in, in necessarily even, uh, they, want to, they want to spend their whole life traveling around the world sharing the gospel, and then maybe someday being a minister over a church in an area where they didn't even grow up. Would, would you be okay with that? Well, I would, I would hope that you would be okay if that's what God is calling them to do. That's what they, wanted, that's what they believe they should do. And I want us to look this morning at a, a young man, um, at least when we first see him as a young man, Timothy. Paul talks about Timothy. He calls him his own son in one letter. He calls him his own son in the faith, I believe, in another. History would tell us that he was the first bishop at Ephesus. Ephesus is not where Timothy grew up. He grew up in Lystra, quite a ways from Ephesus, really. <coughs> Excuse me. And, but that seems to be where he grew up. Some of the things that Paul would write about Timothy, it would seem like Timothy was a little bit of a kind of a mild-mannered, maybe timid person. And yet, history would tell us that he was martyred for his faith, probably because he was protesting the worship of Artemis. Some would say he was actually clubbed to death. Uh, he would have been older at the time. But however he died, he, the church would say he was martyred for his faith. So somewhere throughout his life, he became a little bit bolder and not afraid to, to take on hardships. If I would tell you that if you pray for your child to be a follower of Jesus Christ, no matter where they go, and you knew that that would end in Christian martyrdom, would you still be okay with that? And yet, wouldn't it be better if our children or us would die as martyrs for the Lord than to be lost and die that way and maybe ease and so forth. <coughs> I'd like for you to turn with me to Acts chapter 14. And we'll kind of see here a little bit at the beginning of, of uh, when we first see a setting Acts chapter 14, starting at verse 8, talks about Paul and Barnabas' visit uh, to Lystra. This was the place where Timothy was born and lived and likely saw some of the things that happened here. So in this setting, Barnabas and Paul come there and, and Paul heals this sick man. 
And it's interesting if you look at this story because Paul heals this sick person and, and the people there in the town begin to worship Paul and Barnabas and they, they think they're gods and they start bringing in these garlands. They're gonna, they're gonna, they worship basically Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas say, no, 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 no. We're just people like you are. We're just men. Don't worship us. Now, there's some possible reasons why they would have done this in some of their tradition and so forth. They had been taught that there was a time when the gods had come down and walked around the town as poor people and hardly anyone took care of them except one old couple and then they destroyed everybody else except the old couple. And so they were probably like, whoops, we don't want to pull that again, so we're going to worship these guys. They said, no, that's not, don't do that. In the meantime, some Jews come from Antioch and Iconium where they had been preaching and get these people stirred up. Now, remember, they were, just, they were just trying to worship them in one part of the day. And before the day is over, these Jews get them stirred up to where they stone them. And they stoned Paul, and they actually thought he was dead. Dragged him out of the city, thought he was dead. And Paul gets up and uh, shakes off the dust, you might say, and headed out of town as fast as he could go. No, actually, he didn't. says he went back into Lystra, spent the night there. I would have been out of town, but Paul went back. And so he left. It wasn't long after that that Paul and Barnabas came back through those same towns and preached the gospel some more and set up elders and so forth in those towns. And Timothy would have been there in Lystra and would have seen that. If you move over a little bit in the book of Acts to chapter 16, when Paul is now on his second journey, starting at verse 1, it says, Then came he to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain woman which was a Jewess and believed, but his father was a Greek which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So I don't know exactly what all transpired between the first time that Paul was there and the second time, but likely Timothy saw the testimony of Paul. He saw the fact that he was willing to come back to his town even after he had been stoned and preach the gospel. But there's something more about that. We'll see that. And that is that his mother and his grandmother were believers. They had become believers in Jesus Christ through Paul and Barnabas and then now Paul and Silas being there. And this is where I would like us now to go back to 1 Timothy One of the things I'd like for us to think about this morning in the message is how do we, in in bringing up children that appreciate the gospel and appreciate the brotherhood and are willing to go out and to serve the Lord where God calls them, whether it's here or somewhere else, is there somewhat of a connection between the brotherhood working together and the home working together? You know, there's, there's a kind of this problem of sometimes we get things out of balance. I think there was a time where 
families just expected the church to do all the spiritual work and all the training and you just follow the church, do what the church says, listen to what the preacher says, do the church, you know. And then there's almost was a shift to where the responsibility for children became solely that of the father and the family to a point where the church really is not supposed to give much input because that's the family's responsibility, it's the father's responsibility. Don't tell me anything. No, you almost where the church stays out of it. And neither one of those is, is right. There is a balance. It is, of course, first and foremost, the father's responsibility to home or the mother's responsibility, if there's not a father there, to, to raise up the children to serve the Lord. But it's done, I believe, in conjunction with the brotherhood. Because none of us have everything we need 100%. So we work with the brotherhood. There's a working together. And I'd like for us to kind of see that as we observe even uh, Timothy and Timothy's life. So as we go to 2 Timothy chapter 1, I'm just going to read verses 1 through 6 of 2 Timothy. I might have said 1 Timothy there, but 2 Timothy chapter 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers, with a pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. Paul is saying, I, I pray for you night and day, Timothy. I, I love you as a son in the faith, and I, I pray for you, greatly desiring to see, uh, to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. Then he says, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee. Okay, so Timothy has this, this genuine faith, we could call it which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. And he says, Therefore, wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. So he sees, you see there that his grandmother... And his mother had a great influence on his life, that he has this genuine faith. Paul also calls him his own son, and he says, that you stir up the gift which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. So Paul, apparently at some point, was involved in ordaining him to his work. And so there again, you see this working together of Paul teaching him and leading him and training him and being involved in his life. And also his grandmother and his mother being involved in his life. There seems to be this working together. Now if you go over into the same book here to, uh, chapter, to chapter 3, <clears throat> starting at verse 10 it says, and again Paul continuing his discussion, his, his letter here to Timothy, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, Charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me. Now, if you think about what we just looked at in Acts, came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. So he's reminding Timothy, remember those persecutions way back, way back there? 
that you would have been aware of? He says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, which uh, Timothy did. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Well, I want to, first of all, just make mention a little bit of that influence there, that from a child, and then we're going to look at another passage in closing then, but I know you've heard me share this before, but I'll remind you again because it's in this passage that it says, from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. And that word child in the Greek is a very young child or even an unborn child or infant. It refers more to an infant or very young child. How would he have known the Scriptures from that time? Well, first of all, I, I would think that his grandmother and his mother would have taken him to the synagogue from the time he was just little. Back then, that's how they learned the Scriptures. And there is a sense in which that should still be what we do. We take our children to church to hear the preaching of the Word, to hear the teaching of the Word, to hear uh, maybe it's topics someone's sharing, uh, Sunday school, Bible school, so forth. We take our children and have them be engaged in, in that kind of learning. That's part of it. It's not the only thing. We'll look at some other things. And so there would have been the influence of the synagogue. We'll look at another aspect of that in just a moment. <clears throat> but it was also the influence of people like Paul. And I'd like to say we might say the church's influence. And so let's go over that list that Paul talks about here regarding himself and see if we as a brotherhood, remember we committed this morning to praying for these the children, that were, especially those that were up here, and, and, and for their parents and just being examples. Does our brotherhood have these things that Paul was talking about? So Paul says, let's go back to verse 10. Thou hast fully known my doctrine. Doctrine simply means teaching. Teaching. Do we have teaching that rightly influences our children? I I hope so. But there should be teaching. He says, you have known my teaching. So there needs to be teaching. And then he says, my manner of life. So our children come to church and they hear our teaching. They can hear me stand up here in the pulpit and say things. They can hear um, their Bible school teacher. They can hear the other preachers. They can hear someone as their Sunday school teacher. But then Paul says right after that, not only his teaching, but his manner of life. Does our daily living as individuals, as a collective brotherhood, Does our daily living from day to day throughout the week, does it match up with what we teach and preach on a Sunday? Well, that should be for all of us, but as us as teachers and preachers in the Word, but as parents as well. You know, you can teach one thing, but you have to live that as well. 
So Paul says his doctrine, manner of life, and then purpose. What is our purpose here anyway? Do our children growing up at Salem grasp the fact that we have any purpose to be here other than to just show up on a Sunday morning and shake and say, Howdy, good to see you. How was your week? Looked like we got some rain. That's great. Looks like it's going to be cold again next week and blah, blah. Is that that all there is to it? Is that our purpose? Well, there's nothing wrong with those things. We, we talk, we have small talk, casual talk, whatever. But as a brotherhood, isn't our purpose beyond that? I hope so, and maybe here in a few weeks I'd, I'd like to share a message a little bit on, on that. But what is our purpose? And can our children grasp it? Or do they see any purpose uh, here? Following that, he says, faith, our faith. Do our children see a faith in the people here? And this might just be something I want to encourage the young people on. Maybe the children won't quite grasp this this morning, but our young people. So sometimes I hear this, the sayings like this, that, well, you know, faith, I don't even know if some of the people, you know, especially, I, I just don't see a lot of life in some people, especially maybe some of the older people. It just seems like they're dead. What, where's the life? Where's the life? Where's their faith? Now, what I want to convey back to you is this, that sometimes, especially when we're younger, even as children, we can look at people that maybe we don't know that well, and maybe they're getting older and they're getting tired, and, and maybe you don't see a lot of emotion and expression, but you don't realize that maybe those people have, through their life, been through some pretty tough things. You don't know what their childhood may have been like. You know what their marriage may have been like. You don't know maybe some of the hard things they went through with some of their children. or Maybe they lost a child. Maybe they have had some illnesses you know nothing about. Maybe they've had illnesses or sicknesses that maybe nobody really knows anything about. Maybe they've had some emotional struggles that they've, they've kind of just kept to themselves. Or maybe you just don't know about it. Maybe they've been through some things that you have no idea. And yet those people are still saying that. Jesus Christ is my Savior, my strength, my peace, my God, and I will not give up. That's faith. You may not see a lot of action like you'd like to see, or maybe even understand them, but maybe it's because you don't know them that well, to know the faith that they have, the things they've been through. When Paul tells Timothy, you know my faith, you also know the persecutions I've been through. And, and he would have known those things. And we should probably be open with each other and share some of the things we've been through. Then it talks about long-suffering. Are we as a brotherhood long-suffering? Now, there's a point where long-suffering gets really long sometimes, and it's hard to do. But he does say long-suffering. Jesus Christ is long-suffering with us. Do our children see a brotherhood that is long-suffering? Following that, he says, charity. Do they see love for each other? They don't see love for each other. They're not going to be too excited about Christianity in general, and especially the brotherhood here. They need to see a genuine love for each other. Paul had that love, and he knew that Timothy had seen that, and we need to have that as a brotherhood. Love for each other. And then he says patience, which goes along a lot with long-suffering. 
Patience is one of those things that sometimes is just, yeah, just run out of it. And that's not always good. Often it's not good to run out of patience. We need to be willing to be patient. And then it says, following that, is persecutions and afflictions. Are we a brotherhood that if we need to face persecution, and I'm talking about persecution that's real persecution, not just someone sneering at us a little bit or picking on us because of what we believe. I'm talking about real persecution. Would our children be able to see us go through persecution and still maintain our faith and love for each other and love for the Lord? And suffering, then, it talks about afflictions. What do our children see when they see us in afflictions? Uh, any of us. Do they see us caring about each other? Do they see us giving up? Do they see us holding on? Well, some of those things, I believe, are part of the brotherhood's influence on our children and how we relate to those things can make or break the children. But as we think about the parents' influence, again, going back to this thing where that unfeigned faith, that genuine faith in the grandmother and the mother, and having known the Holy Scriptures from a child. Turn with me back to Deuteronomy, a very familiar passage when we think about children. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And this goes for all of us, really, in the brotherhood, but especially as we think about how children learn the scriptures before they can read or write or maybe even fully understand what we tell them. Deuteronomy chapter 6, they are being instructed here, and they're told in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them. For a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. Thou shalt write them upon the post of thine house and on thy gates. And it continues on there with some very good instruction. But do we live it out as we just walk through life as parents and as a brotherhood so that our children can see that it's not just something that we talk about? but it's something we live out. And that's a challenge to me, and I trust it's a challenge to each one of you, that if we really want our children to grasp the truths of the Word, they start that at a very young age by what they see in us. That's so important. 